That is me ripping up and discarding an article that I recently wrote on Dion Sims. Yes, Dion Sims. Whoops! Whoopsie! Guess we don't need that article anymore. Go ahead and rip it up and throw it away. Dion Sims was going to be my late round hobby horse tight end. The guy you knew I was going to take with one of my last picks was supposed to be Dion Sims. Dion Sims inspired me to write an article. I don't write many articles. Dion Sims possesses such potential. But I was inspired. Why? Because so very rarely we get a tight end who's over 260 pounds, who has great size-adjusted speed and burst, 103.7, 71st percentile height-adjusted speed score for Dion Sims, fourth-round pick a few years ago, relatively productive at Michigan State, 17.9% college dominator. Not great, but not bad either. But whenever you have a big tight end who's drafted in the first three or four rounds, I always keep those players on my watch list. Deion Sims' best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Jay Samaro. For the same reasons I like Jay Samaro and will continue to monitor Jay Samaro's progress, and I will continue to stash Jay Samaro in deep dynasty leagues, I've also been monitoring Deion Sims for years and stashing him in all my dynasty leagues, and was inspired to write an article about him after last year he became the every down tight end for the Miami Dolphins. Week 13, 100% snap share. Week 14, 100% snap share. Week 15, 100% snap share. Week 16, 100% snap share. Week 17, 100% snap share. And on the field, he was incredibly efficient. Plus 18.8 production premium, top 10. Plus 17.2% target premium, top 15. Production premium measures a player's per target efficiency on any given down and distance against league average in those same downs and distances and game situations. So if a tight end is always in the red zone because he plays for the Saints, his production premium is discounted. And the reverse is true for a tight end like Lance Kendricks. His production premium is going to be better than you think because he was producing on the Rams, who are very rarely in scoring situations. And the target premium compares Deion Sims per target production against the other receivers in the Miami Dolphins passing game, and he was impressive in that metric as well. And when the ball was thrown in his direction, he caught it. 75% catch rate last year. That's what you want in your tight end. Big tight end who is securing the ball in traffic. 100% contested catch rate. Four touchdowns last year because Deion Sims was evolving into Ryan Tannehill's primary red zone threat. When you're in the paint, dump the ball down to Deion Sims, let him go to work and score touchdowns. Now what's going to happen? Deion Sims likely won't be back with the Miami Dolphins. That is frustrating, man. He might land on a great depth chart for a tight end. He might go to Denver. That would be great. There's no tight end in Denver. Denver hasn't had a tight end since Julius Thomas. Julius Thomas, the player who eviscerated Deion Sims' fantasy stock this past week. It's the only news we have. And that event, that one piece of news, just happened to be particularly crushing for Matt Kelly. 
and Matt Kelly only. But because it's the one piece of news that we have at our disposal, the one kernel that we can chew on this week, you all want to know what I think about Julius Thomas going to the Miami Dolphins. And if you listen to the show, you care about my opinion. But there is a member of the fantasy football community, an analyst whose opinion I'm sure you value even over mine. Most people do. If you value my opinion over his opinion, you need to reevaluate how you value opinions. So rather than giving you my opinion on Julius Thomas to the Miami Dolphins, why don't we ask Roto World's Rich Rebar? That's who we should ask. And as luck would have it, Rich Rebar, at Lord Reeves on Twitter, is about to join us on the Roto Underworld pod. Welcome to the Roto Underworld radio program, Rich Rebar. Lord Reeves is in the house. Follow him at Lord Reeves. It's not Roto Reeves. It's Lord Reeves. Rich, talk to me. Oh, uh, you know, it's it's great to be here. You know, at the end of late February, you know, my, my, my pipes have recovered. The last time we, we spoke, you know, the, the pipes were damaged. You know, you guys said I had to string along. And you guys are probably pretty grateful that the pipes, you know, kind of ran out there because you had a night of me just kind of just drinking on the sidelines, you know, hanging out with you guys. I couldn't really. My voice was like DMX. Uh, basically the entire night. So, I mean, you know, my pipes are back down. I'm ready to, to spit that hot fire with you. The final night in Nashville at the FSTA conference, your voice was actually gone. This was you talking. So, uh, what I wanted to tell you was <laughs> don't draft Kelvin Benjamin in any leagues at any ADP. It doesn't matter if they acquire a receiver in the draft or not. Even if he's the number one wide receiver. That was your actual voice. And I don't even know if you like Kelvin Benjamin, but I imagine you with that voice warning us not to draft Kelvin Benjamin. But now you're back. Thing is, last time you came on the show, I vowed to make sure that you talked more than I did. Because of all the people in the fantasy football community, the one guy that Roto Underworld Radio listeners want to hear from is Rich Rebar. I'm not just pandering to the guest. That's a fact. But last time you came on, I ran the numbers, and the stats in the podcast software said Matt Kelly talked more than Rich Rebar, and that is a problem. That's Uh wrong. That can't happen. And then a couple months later, the first guest to ever out-talk me did it before you had a chance to do it. And that frustrates me. Christopher Harris finally did it. He finally conquered the Roto Underworld Radio Mountain and talked more than Matt Kelly. And he was also the most polarizing guest of all time. We're not going to have him back on because many (laughs) members of this audience did not like. We have never received this kind of blowback after a guest came on and when Christopher Harris came on and just gas bagged away for well over an hour, the audience did not like him. Some of you did, but it was 80-20, did not like him. He's not going to be back. This is different. (laughs) This time, Rich Rebar will absolutely out-talk me. I can already tell. It's going to happen. The last podcast that we did, I don't know if anyone listened to it, but I, I do, you know, multiple podcasts, you know, throughout the year, and I do a weekly show with Evan, and that was the most actual podcast I think I did the entire season when I was on with you. I think I came on like week four or five, and we basically talked about getting Kenny Britt and Devontae Adams, and basically everything we talked about turned out to be pretty golden the entire show. And I look back on that show, and it was like, you know what, you do a show and you get off done, and you're like, you're yeah, you know if it was good or bad or not, and 
that time I felt like we oh, crushed yeah. it. And it happened to everything that we said, you know, it came to fruition, basically. I mean, even Kenneth Farrell got a shot at one point in the year. He didn't deliver with it. You know, kind of was a DFS dud. But we, we were kind of we were kind of highlighting that you needed to to roster him, you know, in the event that Melvin Gordon was getting so much of a workload that it was bound to, you know, expire on him. So, I mean, all that stuff kind of happened. You know, Devontae Adams was the big winner, though. We had the take lock, Devontae Adams, and the Kenny Britt. So, those are big wins during the year. Coined a phrase, take lock, and then we identified future fake free square running back, Kenneth Farrow. We called it before others called it, and then we were all wrong because he (laughs) face-planted even though on the sideline while he was running, a security guard was masturbating. It did not help <laughs> Kenneth Farrow. It did not make him run away any faster from that security guard. He was still tackled in the backfield. Looking back last year, we nailed it. We did. That that show when you came on week four, that was a time capsule show. That show will live on forever. It was the most correct, the rightest, the most prescient show we've ever done. So now we're looking back and we're looking at, we had a lot of correct takes, not just that show, Roto Underworld Radio in general and playerprofiler.com and Rich Rebar himself with the Roto World worksheet. That's his grand masterpiece that he publishes every week on Roto World and he'll be publishing a lot of content on Roto World this coming year. We nailed it throughout the year, crushed it, but we missed on some guys. So what was your biggest miss last year? I think looking back on it, I think that I was all about that Michael Floyd life, you know, coming into last year. I mean, he was right. He was right on the age apex for wide receivers. He had just come off finishing real strong in 2015. I mean, he was he was 21st in overall points. Uh, He averaged 15.4 points, 7.2 targets per game over his final 10 games in 2015. He was outside of the top 24 at his position just three times over that stretch. I genuinely believed that this was his time to finally pay off your preseason expectancy. But once again... Lucy pulled the football out on us and you know I could live with him I could I could live with him underperforming to a degree because Carson Palmer played genuinely bad last year but like Floyd was continuously is like losing snaps throughout the season which basically culminated in you know his season just evaporating as he got that post DUI you know got released and you know kind of just got picked up by the Pats had like one great moment where he dusted Tony Lippett on a block and like broke 100 tackles on a touchdown and then got benched again in the playoffs when Danny Amendola was healthy so I mean he was basically not useful at all and you know I was there you know ready to to go in on Michael Floyd I thought it was the time Larry Fitzgerald kind of had declined the year before throughout the season I thought it was time and again man like I said Lucy got us could not supplant Jerron Brown in Arizona and could not supplant Danny Amendola in New England. Might have something to do with the fact that Michael Floyd melted a breathalyzer outside Phoenix. If we had blood alcohol percentage as a metric on player profile, we would have known to stay away from Michael Floyd, but we don't have that particular metric. My biggest miss last year, the Seattle Seahawks passing game. I thought the Seattle Seahawks passing game was going to be wheels up. It was just Doug Baldwin, but I thought it was going to be top five quarterback, Russell Wilson, spreading the ball around, making Jimmy Graham a star again, Doug Baldwin, top receiver, Tyler Lockett ascending. That didn't happen, so totally wrong about that. I don't blame myself, though. I could rationalize it away because the Seattle Seahawks – decided in their great wisdom that they were not going to spend any money whatsoever on offensive line. And not just that they were going to spend less than average, 
No, 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 no. Not only were they number 32 in offensive line spending in terms of percentage of cap space, they were half of the number 31 team on the list. Do you understand how little they chose to spend on offensive line and you wonder why Russell Wilson had no time to throw, why Thomas Rawls had no lanes to run through, and yet they still made the playoffs after trying to convert players that had never even played offensive line at any level of football. Said, yeah, go ahead. Learn the guard position. We need you. We need bodies. They were just throwing bodies at the offensive line that had never played the position before, and they wonder why they didn't make it back to the Super Bowl. I, I mean, are you not really excited, though, to – to just attack the mean again, though, on Russell Wilson. Like, he's one of the most guys I'm so excited. Because last year he got inflated because of the hot, you know, 2015 finish. You know, he he was as good as Cam Newton in 2015 down the stretch. Yes. And, you know, the whole second half. And, you know, the I was all in, too. efficient quarterback in the NFL in 2015 mm-hmm. was Russell Wilson, both on the ground and through the air. I thought that he had the potential if they ended up passing more than expected in 2016 that he could be the number one quarterback in fantasy uh... yeah and he threw 60 more passes <laughs> too so Did i mean he? we got we got what we wanted oh yeah i mean we had just major major drop-offs in efficiency uh i had tweeted out you know i'm a big yards per attempt holy girl guy as far as quarterback efficiency goes and how that ties into expected touchdowns you're throwing for a lot of yards you should be throwing for touchdowns and russell wilson was the guy that was hurt the touchdowns didn't follow he had a career low td rate last year year he also you know we he had the lower leg problem to start the front half of the year he only ran for 31 fantasy points all year he had 32 fantasy rushing points all year uh you know that was half of his career low up until last year so i mean we should get a bounce back of uh, of attacking the mean and, and that'll probably be a theme throughout this as we talk about some guys tonight but russell wilson's definitely a guy i'm really excited to find out his initial adp and where i can get him in, in drafts uh maybe not so much in in mfl 10s his, his name still might carry some some brand name clout but i think in like in seasonal redrafts he's going to be a guy even throughout the summer as we get these pieces to inflate him i think he's still going to be a guy that goes around like the the back of the qb1 group and he'll be a guy i'll be targeting Oh, I love him there. I so want Russell Wilson as my quarterback. Early on, like redraft picks, like I think like like Mike Clance guys, they have him like outside of the top seven. So I mean, I'll, I'll definitely be ready to attack him. I believe so. So I'll be ready to attack him there. I'll have to look up. You you, you hit on this one more time. I'll look up his fantasy pros current ranking. Yeah. Oh, I. You know, he's a top five quarterback every year. It doesn't matter that he was. The number 17 quarterback in fantasy last year, the QB 17, Russell Wilson. That doesn't even make sense. I can't even get my head around that. It's so disorienting to see him there. I can't process it. If I can't get Russell Wilson, I'm happy to get Marcus Mariota because I think Marcus Mariota is ready to ascend. I think last year there was a mini ascendance, but it wasn't a full ascendance. If we're parsing, wasn't an actual ascendance, but I think that he will ascend in 2017 because it's been a pretty straight line up, all going all the way back to his time at Oregon for Marcus Mariota. And like Russell Wilson, he's dangerous in the run game. He's dangerous throwing the ball. He can rush for touchdowns. He can throw for touchdowns. And like Russell Wilson, He's been incredibly efficient in his career thus far, and we hope that as long as he can maintain the efficiency, the volume gets cranked up, the offense continues to improve. That's an efficient. 
efficient offense in Tennessee that no one talks about how efficient that offense is. One of the best run-blocking offensive lines and one of the most efficient passers. All they need to do is turn up the tempo, and all of a sudden, Marcus Mariota is easily finishing in the top 10 fantasy quarterbacks. Yeah, I know. I want to apologize. He's a QB seven at Fantasy Pros, uh, so you know, apologies there. So, I mean, that's a, that's a ripe spot to kind of you know get in on that. I do agree with you on Mariota too. I mean, Mariota, our buddy TJ Hernandez had tweeted out you know uh, uh, last week or maybe the week week prior that uh, since Mariota's come in the league, only uh, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady have higher touchdown rates than than Marcus Mariota. So, I mean, he's Probably. doing it right. He, he's he's crushing the red zone too. I think Mariota's got thirty three touchdowns and no interceptions so far in his career in the red zone so when the when, when he's, he's in the money zone uh they're cashing checks so i mean i love that i love the Mariota call i mean he was a guy i was definitely on last year coming into the league and are coming into drafts and you know the first two weeks were kind of rough he had the, he, he had those epic meltdowns since minnesota and oakland he was just terrible and i was like do i hold him for one more week do i do what do i do with him in these spots and you know he ended up bouncing back having that just uber hot run where he set the franchise record for multiple touchdown passes uh in, in consecutive games so i mean he's definitely a guy i feel really good about going forward as well rich his qbr at oregon and i know up-tempo offense system quarterback <laughs> this nonsense label calling him a system quarterback. Maybe the system was Marcus Mariota. You ever thought that maybe he was a system and the system was Mariota? It was the Mariota system, not the coach's system. It was Mariota that was the (coughs) engine that made the offense run. It was not the coach. Yes, in the Mariota system, Marcus Mariota was absolutely a system quarterback and over 90 college QBR at Oregon. That put him in the 97th percentile. Incredible. And then what did he do as a rookie? Oh, talk about the red zone. 65% red zone completion percentage as a rookie. That was top five in the NFL. And then last year, back in the red zone, he goes 61% top 10. But the difference was last year, also top 10 in deep ball completion percentage, 42% deep ball completion percentage. So in the red zone, he's top 10. Deep, he's top 10. This is just shiver running down my spine thinking about the possibilities for Marcus Mariota. And the trajectory is just pointed straight up. Another quarterback I like, not quite as much as Mariota, but I like him as well. Same draft class. One spot ahead, Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, much more polarizing, but also I think a guy that's more on people's minds because they're interested to see if he can ascend this year and be that superstar elite quarterback that he was sold to be coming out of Florida State. National champion, Heisman Trophy Award. Has all the hardware. Now he just needs to become that QB1 in fantasy. That's all that's left. Can he do it? Yeah, we're also interested in Winston because we we spent high capital on one of his receivers too. So we're also you know we're tied into his success uh, in a roundabout way through 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 Mike Evans. I I am a little hesitant on Winston. You know, gung ho. I might get there by as we go on, but you know. Just for the Bucks, kind of showed their hand a bit in season as they tasted their first bit of success under this new regime, and uh, it's a blossoming like younger franchise in the NFL. The Buccaneers went six and two over their final eight games last year, and over that span, they were 27th in the league in passing rate, 
uh, just under 55%. They were 15th in plays per game after running the third most plays and passing 60% of the time uh, over that span prior. Over that, over that entire span, Winston was the QB 17 in scoring, and his highest mark in weekly scoring was QB 11. That's kind of problematic if it's a precursor to how Tampa Bay would like to play when they make more strides forward. And they've kind of hinted it on multiple occasions publicly prior to that even taking place that they wanted to reel Winston in in terms of forcing pass attempts anyways. They just didn't have the opportunity to do so. So, I mean, while they should improve on offense, though, I mean, I have a hard time seeing him getting expensive, though, to where you still can't make a play on the upside of, you know, that offense being just better in general and carrying him there. So I'm fine with it. I really don't think he's going to be a guy that really gets into the top 10 in ADP, a quarterback. So, I mean, outside of that, you're fine. You could take a shot at any of the guys you like there. But I am a little hesitant if the, if the Bucks are going to be a team that, you know, kind of wants to play more balanced football when they're able to. Yeah, I like Mariota more than Jameis Winston because Mariota has a much higher floor because of the efficiency. We look at Jameis Winston, red zone completion percentage outside the top 20 last year, deep ball completion percentage outside the top 20. So you have Marcus Mariota well inside the top 10. You have Jameis Winston well outside the top 20. I think if Tampa Bay could go back in time, if they had a time machine that could go back in time and do it all over again, they would pick Marcus Mariota not Jameis Winston. I think Marcus Mariota is the better bet. We have him rated higher in our dynasty rankings. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Check out our dynasty rankings. There you'll see Marcus Mariota in the top five. No Jameis Winston. Why do we like Jameis Winston? Because Jameis Winston is like Eli Manning. He, the volume's there with the top five wide receiver. So in that way, there's a high floor, but it's a high floor for a different reason. It's a volume-based high floor, not an efficiency-based high floor. You know the Buccaneers are not going to magically put together an effective run game next year. So it's going to be bombs away for Jameis Winston. And if they can acquire a Corey Davis or a Mike Williams or a Juju Smith-Schuster in the draft, to compliment Mike Evans, or in free agency, a field stretcher, Deshaun Jackson, Kenny Stills. That would help to create some more cushion underneath for Mike Evans on those drag routes, just open up room for everyone in that system if they could have a player, especially like a Kenny Stills or Deshaun Jackson, stretching the field and just providing everyone more space to operate. That's the reason why you like Jameis Winston. He's destined to get an upgraded weaponry and for the run game and the defense to not be measurably better from 2016 to 2017, which is going to help him maintain his volume. 11th in the league last year in total attempts were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You can see them moving into the top 10 in pass attempts next year. I think the Mariota Winston quarterback draft class mirrors the Manning Rivers draft class. In that while Manning was drafted before Rivers, Rivers was actually the more efficient passer and the better quarterback overall. I think that Jameis Winston plays much like Eli Manning and Marcus Mariota plays much like Philip Rivers, only Marcus Mariota is also mobile. So a mobile Philip Rivers, that's Marcus Mariota. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm all in on Mariota. Like I said, though, I, I'm real hesitant because of the Bucks. I mean, I'm not. I don't know if they can get in the top ten and pass attempts. I mean, I feel like things would have to go really haywire again for how they show their, their hand because they didn't have a good run game last year and they still leaned on it. They didn't care. 
I mean, they they brought Jacquez Rogers out of the grave. Remember, Jacquez Rogers was like fantasy relevant for weeks. Oh, he uh, was. Yeah, like he legit. was the only I mean, fantasy relevant running back in that entire run game. He was the yeah. only running back that was effective at all. Yeah, and they're gonna get you know a healthy Charles Sims back. So they're gonna get their receiving back. Uh, back. They're probably going to, I would say, right, like we probably agree they're probably going to release Doug Martin with the suspension and everything. Like, signs kind of point towards it. So, they'll probably be a team that brings a guy in. You know, they've just got Peyton Barber there, who's, you know, was a uh, an end of the line guy. I don't think he was even drafted last year. But, I mean, so I think that they'll add to it and, you know, keep Sims in his role uh, and, and add a back there. So, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But, I, uh, especially with what receiver they, they add to. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. Uh, uh, on Winston g- getting up there, but like I said, I don't see his capital really pushing the the top QB one group. So you're gonna if you like him, he's a guy you like. I don't really have qualms with it either because those are all guys that if they don't hit, you can always rotate them out for another guy pretty yeah. easily. Winston and Wilson were tied in fantasy points per game last year was 17.1. They were both 18th in the NFL, and I think those are the two players that are gonna move up into that top 12 zone, become QB1s again. But Jameis Winston's never been a QB1, and Jameis Winston's ceiling, because he's never shown himself to be an efficient quarterback, certainly lower than Russell Wilson and Marcus Mariota. When I mentioned Corey Davis going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Corey Davis goes to the Buccaneers. You have to really like Jameis Winston at this point. But now the debate is, well, well, who is better? Is it Corey Davis or is it Mike Williams? This is a, a consistent debate that I'm seeing in both draft Nick circles and fantasy football dynasty circles. I am pretty entrenched in my belief that Corey Davis is a five-star prospect, whereas Mike Williams and Juju Smith-Schuster are more four-star prospects for the NFL. Who do you got? Corey Davis, Mike Williams. I mean, in this apples to apples, I don't think it's it's particularly close. You know, it, it's in the favor of Davis. Yes! Um, yes! It's... It's yeah. a really huge, <laughs> it, it, it is a, it's a really unique you know class all around because while it's not or it's very it's very it's very much deeper than the past wide receiver classes that we've had since 2014 but it's also not very top heavy. Uh, there are a lot of receivers that are very good prospects that like none that really carry like bulletproof stigma. This is a it's a class filled of like wide receiver twos outside of these top guys. And Davis is the closest thing we have to one of those bulletproof guys. I mean, from a production standpoint, he's pretty clean. He's had over 35% of his team's receiving yards in all four years at Western Michigan. He's averaged over three and a half yards per pass attempt, team pass attempt in each of the past three years. And against Power 5 schools, you know, albeit, you know, I said mostly against Big Ten teams. I mean, he's rolled that production over and been productive in those opportunities in those games. From a subjective standpoint, He's also just much more versatile uh, than a guy like Williams, which gives him more outs at the next level. He's good on every level of route. He's arguably the best receiver after the catch in this class. You mentioned a spot like Tampa Bay, like that's a, a, a pretty good fit for him because he can work on multiple levels, you know, where Mike Evans is kind of while he's outstanding in what he does, he's, uh, you know, what we would call like a, a limited guy. He just is, is so good at what he excels at that it, it's unstoppable. Mike Williams is kind of in that same ilk for me, but he's also tougher for me. He has a clear trump card, and, you know, it's it's the big joker uh, in that he's inviting, you know, contact. He's damn near unstoppable facing the ball. 
Uh, but he has kind of a marginal production profile, just floating under the thresholds. You know, we generally look for in terms of like team share production, yards per team attempt, and raw per game outfit. But if uh, you like that his, his best games, you know, the season uh, kind of came against those Ohio States and the Alabamas, you know, two defenses littered with NFL talent. He got to showcase, you know, what he could really do against caliber of talent like that. He's going to be big for me, though, on how he tests uh, because of his reliance on winning cont- contestant catches, though. Landing spot is also important because if he rolls over that reliance on contested catches, he'll need a quarterback willing to make throws in those spots. A good example is the two QBs we just talked about. If he ends up with a guy like Marcus Mariota, that's kind of a bad fit, the Mariota bot. Like, you know, the, the league is flittered now with guys that need to see throws before they make them. This you are not open. Those. You are not open. You will not get this pass. I will not throw yeah. it to you. You are not open. I will not throw it to you. You are not open. I do not throw interceptions. I do not throw interceptions. Maybe Mike Williams needs to go to Tampa Bay and Corey Davis needs to go yeah. to Tennessee. Yes, I think we solved it. <laughs> that, that could work. You might end up a little overlap with, with him and Evans. But, you know, finishing up my thoughts on uh, Williams here, I mean, he, he doesn't have the Mike Evans production premium. So he's going to need to show that he's at least that caliber of athlete um, because we've had a lot of clashing vertical types that look great, but they don't translate in the NFL because they just aren't the requisite athletes. So, I mean, Mike Williams is going to be a big guy for me that I need to see because he's just on, like, the threshold of a number of areas for me. So I need to see what we get here when we have the composite outlook uh, for Williams. But I think if Williams is a guy that hits, if he does hit, it's going to be in a big way. I feel like there's going to be no median for him. It's either going to be big or he's going to fade. He's going to be John Baldwin. Juju Smith-Schuster, Corey Davis, these are players with nuance. These are players that don't necessarily need to test well because they could be Anquan Bolden at the next level. Mike Williams is not a nuanced player. Mike Williams needs to show explosion in his workout metrics in order for us to consider him a top three wide receiver in this class. We had Laquan Treadwell in the top three, and then he didn't jump very far. He didn't run very fast, and he fell out of the top three. Told you so. So we have a big three in this class. Williams... Davis, Smith-Schuster. You agree, Smith-Schuster's number three. We don't need to uh, debate that, right? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in the air still on, on Juju. All right, well, anyway. <laughs> Let's assume that you have Juju Smith-Schuster at number three. You're going to come to your senses eventually. Outside that top three, who's that one guy that you're hoping tests well, the guy that you've been watching some draft breakdown on, the guy that you've been checking out his, his production share, and you're thinking... This guy's a very interesting prospect. Give me one. You're you're, you're gonna like the 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 lead we just played when when I finally get there. But I'm gonna ramble for a second. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm a big composite guy. I mean, so you're kind of catching me at a time where we're flying half mass half mass and analysis. I mean, the combine may not have any specific drills that solely have strong strong correlation to future success. But I feel good about my objective model making and every everything that comes along with production and workout related that you take into account. Into account, and like we don't have all that yet. So I mean, we'll get there. But I mean, I, I'm still like I'm not making like hard decisions on any of these guys no, based on no, what I just no, watched. No, no, we're just yeah, no, no, we're, we're just yeah. talking about hey. If things break right at the combine and oh, no, know, but people as I are, get more information, there's a player that I'm very intrigued by. Hmm, this guy looks like he could be very interesting in the second and third rounds of Dynasty rookie drafts. Hmm. 
Yeah, but but people genuinely don't care about what's coming up, and they don't care about this more information that well, we're going to get. Those people. But listen, I mean, it's it like I said, it's a unique class of players uh, that fit the archetype of like wide receiver twos and NFL slot options. There's a, a plethora of tweener types in this class. Guys that are like five ten to six one and like 180 200 pounds. Uh, and it's also a very old class, all things considered. When you look at like player, a lot of player ages here. I mean, but I do I like guys like Carlos Henderson and T- Taiwan Taylor. Uh, they have very impressive resumes, yes. but I still do have. I said, hey guys, talk, talk to yeah. me, Rich. Talk yeah. to me. Well, from a, uh, an objective stance, with the information we have now and and the the film you can watch on these guys, those are guys you feel good about. But I do still have physical concerns for both of them, given their size that we think they are. Yeah. There are three major archetypes of players that we tend to overvalue in the draft process for fantasy: yak slot guys and and special uh, spatial satellite backs, uh, and then athlete only wide receivers post combine. Uh, Henderson definitely fits the first archetype because he's kind of like. Uh, a Jarvis Landry-esque clone comparing him to an NFL player. Uh, he's a guy that gets a lot of short receptions, major yak guy, breaks a lot of tackles, uh, but is not the biggest guy. You know, makes contested catches, though, but where does he fall? How is the team going to see him? You know, it's it's easy to elevate these guys based on the things we see, you know, in college, but these guys do get pigeonholed in the NFL. To put some context around this, you only have one yak specialist that ascends to even WR2 status in fantasy every five years. First, it was Golden Tate. And then five years later, we had Jarvis Landry. That's it. Those are the only two players that consistently every year finish in the top 10 in yards after the catch per target. That's it. It's a very rare skill set to be the Mm -hmm. guy that wins with Yak at the NFL level. You don't want to bet on that guy because more often than not, that guy's Jarius Wright. He's not Jarvis Landry. Yeah, right. And that's why the, I say I worry about those guys until we get like full composite data. Because I don't, you know, like I said, we tend, this is the time of year to elevate those types of guys. And while objectively it looks great, I still need some insurance and then tied into draft capital as well to where these guys, the fits they're going to be in. There are other guys I'm interested to, Fred Ross, Josh Malone, Ardarius Stewart, Chris Godwin I like a lot. I like Isaiah Chris Ford. Godwin. Yes, Chris Godwin is underrated. Yeah, he's real underrated. Um, but I think... Like I said, I'm going to get to that lead. I think the guy I really am dying to get clarity on is Juju, man. I mean, he's the youngest wide receiver in this class. He had a strong 18-year-old season, then just absolutely crushed his 19-year-old season, then came back and had a severe lapse in production this past year. We know that you know final year production is a better indicator uh, for composite production purposes for what leads in the NFL, so that leaves us with a big gray area with a guy like JSS. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could be a guy like Alshon Jeffrey and fall and recover, or you know, he could be Earl Bennett, you know, I mean, but, you know, as a guy that's 6'2 and 220 pounds with like a young breakout age, I'm very interested to see what kind of, you know, workout we get from him, uh, where he tests, because he's another guy that he could be a guy that he, his game is not that far off from a guy like Corey Davis. The things that people talk about that they like about Corey Davis, Juju brings a lot of that to the table too, minus like the contested catch, you know, conversion rate, like a guy that's a big clasher. But after the catch, guys are gonna is gonna catch like a crossing route or like a slant and house it. Like he's that type of dude. Um, and like I said, he's got the size, the prerequisite size that he could be a future stud. So I mean, you know, if if the inklings kind of hold true that he ends up as like a third rounder in the real draft, oh, uh, God, that, please don't, please that NFL, would fell, don't do that. That would put him around roughly, you know, based on the historical averages being like the wide receiver eight or later selected uh, in this class, which would theoretically should make him a 
first to second round rookie pick or even in a second round, which is a great spot in rookie drafts to mitigate all that risk. And, you know, if he ends up getting there into that late that late first or into the early second, that's uh, a big buying point where you can kind of ignore some of those red flags uh, if he does test adequately to where you are worried if he's a guy like Earl Bennett uh, and you can make a play on him being Alshon. The Earl Bennett reference for some of our younger <laughs> listeners will be completely well, lost. Yeah, he was a young prospect. He had a monster second to last year and then came back and just fizzled out and everyone thought he was going to be good because he got drafted to a team that had his college roommate. We had the first college roommate narrative in fantasy football. You know, That's get Earl right. Bennett. Jay Cutler's coming to the Bears. So he's roommates. He is roommates with Earl Bennett at Vanderbilt. Earl Bennett's going to break out, draft Earl Bennett, and then what the hell happened? Nothing. Yeah, Robert Woods, a more modern reference for a USC wide receiver who had an exceptional sophomore season and then underwhelmed in his junior season and then underwhelmed in the NFL. Please, Juju Smith-Schuster, do not be the second coming of Robert Woods. But you won't be because you're a 220-pound wide receiver with nuance. Chris Godwin is essentially just a lesser version of Juju Smith-Schuster. He's slightly shorter, slightly smaller, 205 pounds, but like Juju Smith-Schuster, an exceptional sophomore season, 69 catches over 1,100 yards and five touchdowns. Then he followed that season up this past season with 11 touchdowns. So that was impressive. Chris Godwin's noteworthy because he came out early. There's just very few wide receivers that are young in this class. As you mentioned, Godwin happens to be one. Juju happens to be one. And then you have a lot of old players like John Ross that experienced injuries throughout their career in college and then ended up medical redshirting. And now they're 22, 23 years old. You see that a lot in this class. Older, svelte receivers. Josh Reynolds, the best example. 64190? How is that even possible? Eat something, <laughs> Justin, Josh. Just, Jesus Justin Hunter Christ. Style. Justin Hunter style. <laughs> oh, God. But staying in the Big 12, running backs, I think we know Leonard Fournette's good. I think we know Dalvin Cook's good. We don't need to bore the audience with Dalvin Cook talk. But in addition to Fournette, in addition to Cook, I also have Joe Mixon in my top three. Now, I'm hearing rumors that Joe Mixon may not get drafted or that he may not get drafted until day three. We talked about Juju Smith-Schuster perhaps not getting drafted until the third round and how that could create a buying opportunity in dynasty rookie drafts. While it's demoralizing and exasperating for me that the NFL scouting industrial complex would not appreciate a player as talented with such incredible age-adjusted production as Juju Smith-Schuster, I have to agree with my colleague Rich Rebar that it would present a buying opportunity, so I have to get over it. <laughs> what about with Mixon, though? Yeah, what really hurts Mixon and you know, putting himself in this position is that he not only loses on the athletic testing portion of the combine, but the behind-closed-doors portion of the event may not have been more vital to any other player outside of, you know, outside of just him. I don't think there is. I don't think there is. So he loses out on a real chance now for for teams now are going to enter the process with their own perception of his character instead of being him being able to get in front of them and put a foot forward and you know and try to provide some resolution at this to some degree i don't think it's ever something he'll completely absolve um i honestly have no clue how this will play out for him you know come the end of april i mean i, I know that's not like really what you brought me on for to have a take but i don't i don't because 
this running back class is not lacking talent. Uh, and if you combine this class with the available free agents, you know, guys like Latavius Murray, Eddie Lacy, <laughs> Rex Burkett, uh, and other ball carriers uh, that we probably think will get released, uh, like Adrian Peterson, Doug Martin, Jamar Charles, uh, there are more backs available then there are going to be immediate opportunities. That's so assuming- what I've been talking about. The running back musical chairs. The music's going to stop. There's going to be a lot of running backs without jobs. Yeah, so assuming he is a guy that falls into day three or somehow doesn't go on draft and he gets to pick a spot, which I find really unbelievable. No, that's but, not I mean, going to happen. He's going to get yeah. drafted. Um, but he could end up getting initially buried or falling into a situation, you know, that, that isn't ideal. I don't want to, pro- you know, project that because it, I just don't know what's going to happen with him in regards to what team's going to finally pull the trigger. Uh, but situation and capital will be very telling for a guy like Mexican uh, be, because uh, talent-wise, I mean, he's definitely a top three to four pack in this class uh, in terms of overall game impact ability. I mean, so, I mean, right, it's, right? It's, it's just going to be one of those things, man, that we'll, we'll know. If a team says – Screw it and takes him in the, at the end of the second round or in the third round. We'll know. We'll know immediately that w- where we are. But if he goes in like the fifth or sixth round, mm. uh, we're going to need some some clues here as the destination, what kind of role might he be in and stuff. But, I mean, talent-wise, I don't think it's a question. It's just going to be he, – he really is hurt by not the combine testing portion but the closed doors interview process. It was – Indy may have not been more important to any other player than him, and he ruined it for himself. Opposite end of the spectrum, Christian McCaffrey. No character concerns. He's going to the combine. Unlike Joe Mixon, he's not 220 pounds. He's closer to 200 pounds. And while Joe Mixon is an every-down workhorse, the bell cow profile, McCaffrey looks more like a satellite back. And for that reason, I also think that his landing spot may take care of itself because he may go to an offense that thinks it needs a satellite back, in particular an offense with a quality quarterback in need of a satellite back somewhere like oh i don't know rich new orleans yeah i'm one of the believers that mccaffrey is actually a true multi-touch guy in the nfl and not just a complimentary player um he's not as big as cook or fournette or even mixkin mixon uh, but he's had two 300-plus you know, touch season. He's got a knack for explosive plays. 47% of his yards came on carries at five more yards. Uh, and, oh, he had 15% of his team's targets and receiving yards in each of the past two years. You, you mentioned New Orleans, which is you know obviously scorching hot for multiple, multiple reasons. I mean, they're the only— <laughs> I would love it. They're the only team to rank in the top five of running tar- running back targets in each of the past five years. I mean, he can make uh, an immediate impact there. Tavares Cadet, Tim Hightower, both on the market right now. Uh, as, as a side note to this, if the Saints stay relatively put at running back, I kind of like taking flyers in Daniel Lasko. Uh, but, you know, Kinda. I, if they yeah. don't draft McCaffrey, <laughs> I'm all over Daniel Lasko. If they draft McCaffrey, uh I'm done with Lasco. But as long as they don't draft McCaffrey, I'm holding on to Lasco tight. I'll say one spot I really like that I, I think maybe is more probability in my head than really is is Oakland. I mean, uh, both DeAndre Washington and Jalen Richard contributed in a nice way, but neither are cornerstone pieces of an offense, and Oakland doesn't have any real monetary value ties to either. They actually even bench Washington for a stretch of the year last year. He'd be stepping into an already successful offense with a good quarterback, a stellar offensive line, and Oakland's another team that uses the back in the passing game, so he would really be able to highlight everything he being, brings to the table. Um, obviously, those are too pie in the sky, like ideal things like New Orleans, Oakland. Uh, you know, he 
could end up. I think a lot. Of, he could still be successful. I think in a spot like Cleveland, Indy, uh, Tampa Bay, uh, Philadelphia. I think those are all teams that will be interested in things he brings to the table as well. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he can't I, I think go to Philadelphia. All right, he's not going to be good in Philadelphia. Let's not put <laughs> Christian McCaffrey on Philadelphia. I like him in Oakland because I want one of two things. I want. Up-tempo, high-volume offense, lots of red zone opportunities. That's New Orleans. Check. Or top five run-blocking offensive line. That's Oakland. So one of those two places, I'm all about. But there are a lot of running backs in this class. It's exciting. And you'll be able to get a quality running back in the third round of rookie drafts this year. So let's say you're in the third round of a rookie draft. Who's one of those more under-the-radar rookie running backs that you have your eye on? I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a great class, and I'm definitely into the popular guys. I mean, I'm definitely into guys like Kareem Hunt, you know, objectively. Uh, but those are guys that are going to go in the second round. Second round for Kareem Hunt. Yeah. If you're in the league with me, I mean, you're Absolutely. So, happen. I mean, uh, but, I mean, without full composite data, like I said, to work off of, uh, objectively, I'm really into how Aaron Jones looks and how he profiles. Uh-huh. I mean, he's got the requisite size, pass catch ability. He had two monster seasons at UTEP uh, surrounding a 25 medical redshirt year. Uh, when he tore a ligament in his ankle. But when looking at running back prospects like in that that rough area, that that deep area, I want guys that are prerequisite workhorse backs. Jones was fourth in the nation in percent of his team carries at 56%. He had 79.5% of his team's rushing yardage, 85% of their team rushing touchdowns. Uh, That just trailed uh, your guy, McNichols. Uh, he also caught 28 passes and 46% of his runs went for five more yards, which was 10th in the nation for all backs with 100 plus carries. Uh, the rub with Jones, though, is we don't have much of a sample of him playing higher end competition. I mean, kind of like Texas is like the best team he played, and he, he had a good game against them. But I mean, uh, overall, though, he fits the the archetype of what I look for in a late late round running back. That will he has no shot at getting into like the really the second round of rookie drafts either. So he'll always be there. So I mean, he, he's a guy I'm looking at. I also like I like Marlon Mack too. I'm not sure where he'll end up. He Marlon Mack profiles exactly as a clone almost of uh, Wisconsin Melvin Gordon. They're all, like the exact same build. Re- rely on home run. Yeah, they rely on the home run uh, stats. You know, I tweeted Josh Norris uh, the the profile. Like they're almost like carbon copy clones. Like wow. how they got their production uh and they're the exact same size uh you know they kind of run themselves into outs uh you know but you know can can hit home runs too you know especially that was melvin gordon the prospect in the nfl melvin gordon's been a far different guy uh you know definitely by far um so i mean it's gonna be curious to see how things you know pan out for a guy like marlon Mack uh because he's he's not going to get drafted with top 20 capital and be able to just run into carries an opportunity like melvin gordon this past year the reason I like McNichols, that's what you mentioned earlier. You know I like McNichols somehow, some way. I don't know sure how you know all these things. How do you know I like McNichols? You either listen to the show or I gave you all the show notes beforehand. I'm not sure which one it is. I also drank some drank some Jameson and Coles with you for a few hours in t- Tennessee. Oh, you see, I don't even remember what I talked about. Probably McNichols because we're talking about a player as a sophomore and then again as a junior. 20-plus rushing touchdowns. <laughs> 88 total receptions over the last two seasons, but he also loves to run into defenders. You watch McNichols, and it's so frustrating. This guy could be a 2,000-yard back if he just recognized these vectors on the second level that he could take instead of running directly into a strong safety. But that's McNichols. He has strengths. He's the best receiver in this class. He's so dynamic in space. He's such a slick receiver. It's like watching a wide receiver. 
reminded me a lot of C.J. Procise watching a receiver play running back, and that's what you have with McNichols. But like you said, if he runs slow and isn't very agile, what the hell good is he going to be as a mid-round pick? Come on. We don't know really anything until the combine happens. That's why this is really is a big circle jerk, but people want rookie talk, and that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to give you rookie talk. You want some rookie talk? I'll give you some rookie talk. Would you listen to my podcast when you talk about your rookies? That's what you want. That's what you're going to get. Lord Reeves, Matt Kelly, rookie talk. But it's it's good to have your objective stance. Then when you get those thoughts, you know, and they and they cross reference and match up, and it just makes you it solidifies your stance, gives you a little more confidence. But yeah, uh, we're we're way early in the process for a lot of people. I know that some people it's not like they've seen all they need to see and their their minds are made up. But I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm all about that composite, baby. I need all all the info I can get. Well, we do the research now, so when the combine happens, we can be the first ones out of the box. <laughs> running around, waving our arms in the air. If for somehow, some way, Jeremy McNichols is a great athlete or Kareem Hunt's a great athlete, we can just start spinning around like a top, be the first ones <laughs> on the board shouting, this is a first-round player in rookie drafts. Would you ever draft a tight end in the first round of a rookie draft, even someone as talented as O.J. Howard? I wouldn't. It's just not my thing, man. It's no. just not how I. It's just not how I play. You would. I mean, yeah. T- it's just not. It's just not how I play. Tight ends are no. a mixed bag. I mean, For one yeah. the position. The one the position overall in fantasy is just not overly a necessity to have a top tier talent. Although it doesn't hurt. I mean, listen, when you have Gronk at peak Gronk, it it doesn't hurt you. I'm not trying to say that either. Um, but by now we're all well aware that tight ends are notoriously slow burn for fantasy, even the perceived elite guys. I mean, just five of the 18 first round tight ends since 2000 have scored seven touchdowns in a year over the first three seasons. Uh, the other thing that hurts spending up for either Howard and Ajoku, who, who obviously is, I think, is is, is just really neck and neck they may not even mm. his production profile is obviously light years better to it um and he's younger um but it's just a really sound tight end class you know all around yeah. Um, yeah. so i mean if, if you're gonna wait like why not just wait and take shots on cheap guys i think eric sauber adam sheehan uh a guy from from near me you know ashland ohio those are two guys that are really intriguing intriguing um you've got michael roberts gerald everett jordan leggett i mean all these guys are 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 really a, a provide a lot of depth to this class at the position. So I think that uh, I'll, I'll take, I'll be more than willing to take one or two of those guys in the third, my third and fourth round, you know, throwaway picks and just see what pants out. Uh, instead of using high capital on a Howard and a Joku and having to sit on them for two and a half years, three I'm years. not drafting tight ends or quarterbacks in a rookie draft, man. I've hit on too many of these sleeper running backs in the third and fourth round. You know, this year, a guy like James Connor, someone coming back from cancer, Lots of people have doubts about his ability at the end, at the next level. Can he really come back from cancer? Can he really come back from a torn ACL? Yeah, he can. The guy's 240 pounds, and he's going to have one of the best speed scores at the combine. You can book that. And then last year, over 20 receptions, showing that he can be active in the passing game. I'll take a guy like that over any fucking quarterback or fucking tight end in a rookie draft all day i don't want to talk about rookies anymore i'm done we did our little thing we gave you our <laughs> rookie talk got your rookie talk all filled up there <laughs> back to veteran players 
Last year, we talked about last year, your biggest miss. I forgot to ask you who your biggest hit was. So we need a fair and balanced show. Who was your biggest sleeper hit last year? Oh, I mean, I, I'm not someone that is, is into scoreboarding, but I will say. Oh, come on. Just give me a I know. Name. I'm here. I'm with Matt Kelly. Tell me. I'm going to grandstand a little bit. Yes. But, I, but someone did write, actually in print, that the Garrett, the Garrett Blunt, will lead the NFL in rushing touchdowns in 2016. And legitimately backed it up with 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 data points that supported the theory yes. of how he how he could do this, and he did. The Garrett will live in infamy. Don't draft the Garrett this year. No, I'll tell you that gosh, right now. No. Oh, please, no, don't even consider it. But that was your Rocky Balboa, the top of the steps moment. I love that, and I love that it was a running back because last year I think we experienced a mild RB renaissance. It wasn't a wild RB renaissance by any means, but I think it was a legit RB renaissance last year. Sure. And given that, how does that impact draft concepts heading into 2017? Draft concept I like to call zero RB. Never heard of it. Zero RB? <laughs> no. So every people know, talk about this? This is a strategy thing. where you... You don't draft a running back in rounds one through five or six. What is kind of crazy? I know this? it sounds insane, but people used to do it, and I am a big fan of it. What does Chris Harris think about this? Chris Harris, Chris Harris mocks zero RB drafters relentlessly. No, but uh, yeah, obviously it was it was a year for. Running backs to make a bounce back in 2016 was really an interesting season in relation to on-field trends. And we could do a whole show on this topic, basically. Um, but when you look at the on-field trends and the fantasy tie-over, league-wide passing rate was the highest it's ever been in NFL history, 59.3%. Uh, six of the uh, seven hold highest on, hold years. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Repeat that. Write this down, everybody. I don't say this very often. I'm like, taking notes on the Roto Underworld podcast. Fuck no. Just listen and enjoy. We're having fun. Write this number down. Say it again, Rich. Yeah, uh, league-wide passing rate was the highest it's ever been in NFL history last year. 59.3% of the NFL players are pass plays last year. Six of the seven highest years in pass play percentage have come since 2011. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the NFL trend of being pass happy still continued. Despite that, wide receiver ones and wide receiver twos had their worst collective season since 2010. There are two components in play here, and the first is an obvious fantasy tie-in, touchdowns. Touchdowns matter for fantasy football. After a league record 842 passing scores in 2015, there were 56 fewer passing touchdowns this season than last, the fewest since 2012. In terms of where those TDs went, the wide receiver one group was affected a little bit, but not very much. They lost just 12 touchdowns uh, off the 2015 total, basically one per player. But the wide receiver two TDs, They got absolutely bludgeoned. Uh, Wide receiver 13 through 24 scored just 59 total touchdowns, an average of five per player. By far the lowest total of the past decade. For comparison's sake, the wide receiver receiver two unit in 2015 scored 91 touchdowns. They scored 86 in 2014, 73 in 2013, 97 uh, in 2012, 84 in 2011 for some recent context. 59 is how many scored last year. Wide receiver one suffered their big drop-off in yardage output, posting the lowest collective total since 2009. A big reason as to why each subset declined in different areas is the continued success of the third wide receiver in NFL offenses. Wide receiver threes have now scored more points in each uh, of the past seasons, uh, past five seasons um, as a season prior, and three wide receiver sets have increased in every single NFL season over the past decade, 10 years in a row. Last season, 
the uh, NFL teams are up to six, 76% of dropbacks with three wide receivers or more on the field, as opposed to 55% just 10 years ago. So the NFL use of more wide receivers has now finally showed up. It's made more wide receivers viable in fantasy for sure. That's a definite. But 2016 was the first year it impacted the top two layers of fantasy production. The reason why, we talked about it earlier. This is the Marcus Mariota-ing of the NFL. So many quarterbacks right now are trained to check it down to the open guy. They're much less inclined to just feed their number one option. There are fewer Eli Mannings in the NFL and more Marcus Mariotas. So this trend isn't going to change, but that doesn't mean that 2016 wasn't an outlier. It was the extreme version of of these trends culminated in 2016 and there will be a regression back to a mean for both the wide receivers and the running backs in 2017. Do you agree? Yeah, because the other thing I want to circle back to is those touchdowns, the fantasy lifeblood, the most important thing in our game, whether we want to be or not. The touchdowns are really all that freaking matters every week. Tell me if you won your fantasy game, the team that scored the most touchdowns won the game. Uh, You know, (laughs) League-wide touchdown output has been exponentially rising now for some time, but the interesting development uh, until this past season was that rushing touchdowns kept decreasing and weren't getting carried along for the ride. Uh, We reduced some regression in rushing scores because even if the rate of rushing touchdowns kept dropping, the fact that the raw totals of touchdowns weren't dragging rushing along touchdowns with it was a little bit puzzling. And then we just got a massive thump back to the mean like last year. Uh, for some total perspective on this, uh, there were 1,306 touchdowns scored last season, 1,229 on offense. Ten years ago, those touchdowns uh, were 1,243 scores with 1,106 rushing or receiving. So 123 touchdown difference over a decade. Wow. Uh, and in, in, in 2000, we had 155 fewer total touchdowns this past year and 183 fewer rushing and receiving scores to divvy up. You know, over that span, the rushing touchdowns had dropped in six of the previous 10 seasons, and they went all the way down to just 365 in 2015, the lowest in an NFL season since 1999. So we we were kind of guilty of this else because it was uh, guilty of pushing ZRB to the limits last year because it was smacking us in the face that running backs had hit an all-time low last year, and we just we, we should have bought into it a little bit because last year rushing touchdowns went all the way back up to 443, the fifth most ever in an NFL season, uh, an average of five more rushing touchdowns per week uh, in the NFL. In fairness, though, in fairness, with hindsight, it's always more difficult to call a bottom at the time than it is looking back. You think, oh, my God, it can't possibly get any lower. It can't possibly get any worse for this particular position. But when you're buying a stock and it's been declining in value every day, (laughs) it's very difficult to step into that breach and be the guy that's buying. Absolutely, man. You got to attack that mean on some level, though, especially in fantasy football, where you know you've got some leniency and outs in terms of like waiver wire and trades and stuff like that. The real balance will be deciphering whether that TD spike was just pure variance or recoil that should have been anticipated and something we can count on holding some water going forward. And when you look at the opportunities. The big spike came from opportunities inside the five-yard line. I dropped some tweets on this today. Uh, the league ran 167 more plays inside the five-yard from inside the five-yard line uh, than in 2015, and they ran the most ever there was in a, in a season ever. Uh, 282 rushing scores came from that close range, which accounted for 
63.7% of the league's rushing yards, uh, rushing touchdowns total. Uh, it was the highest rate over the past decade, uh, and the previous nine-year average was just 55.5% uh, over that span. So we had a major influx of short yardage opportunities and scores which were reliant on the offense being in a certain sector of the field. Uh, that That is something that could be very fragile in a vacuum if you want to bank on that rolling over. Uh, so, you know, kind of to put a bow on all this without even talking about how it impacts, you know, drafting. Uh, to wrap this up, the bullet points here are that league-wide passing is climbing still higher than ever, but along with that wide receiver three usage is also climbing, uh, which may have a, a point-shaving effect on the top of the position, and that rushing scores had massive recoil, um, due to the increased rate of short-range opportunities. The latter two points still may be very fragile, and we can get into the debates of roster construction and roster allocation, um, but I don't think zero RB is going to go away in a sense. Uh, there's just more wide receivers viable. Uh, you know, but It just gives you an opportunity, I think, to mix in more higher-end running backs with draft, high draft capital and being able to get wide receivers deeper as the draft goes on as opposed to like this year where there was a clear drop-off at a certain point where we we had pushed Michael Thomas like by August up into like the sixth round you know in drafts like I think this year that won't happen you'll be able to get guys like Richard Matthews uh you know still in like the you know the seventh round or later this year I think there's going to be those opportunities because of what the running back position did last year even if I wanted to bend away from zero RB in 2017, I don't think the community is going to let me. I don't <laughs> think my competitors are going to let me. I think even when I would be inclined to take a running back when I wouldn't have otherwise in previous years, my competitors will have drafted those running backs many picks earlier anyway, forcing me to default to a zero RB strategy whether I like it or not. That's what I foresee in 2017 for me yeah i think that'll probably be the case i think it as much recoil as there was for the running back position it still was largely very top heavy guys you know we had demarco murray and melvin gordon obviously hit and those were guys again you could you know like we said you know attack attack the mean you know those are guys that disappointed and their adp completely fell off this year and you were able to get them at a discount and it worked out but yeah, it's going to be a situation, I think, this year where that's still very uneasy based on the landscape of the running back position. I still think like tiers two and beyond of the running back position still don't line up with the secondary tiers of the wide receiver position. If you're telling me that I have to take a tier two running back uh, a la Jordan Howard um, if it's as a top five, 15 pick over a guy like Des Bryant, like that's, that's, that's not going to happen, man. Like, yes. um, I mean, yeah. it's just not going to happen. Like it, it, I could feel as good as about Jordan Howard as I wanted to and paint a story about all the production and the efficiency he put up. But like he was yeah. on a five win team last year um, that, you know, was like 28th and like second half rushing attempts. Like I'm not going to spend a top 15 capital on that guy when I can take a receiver that can score double digit touchdowns on 120 targets. That's uh, just it's you just, just distilled I think, it. You just yeah, distilled it. I mean, that's I mean, it right there. That's it. That's that's the decision point we're all going to face in fantasy drafts this coming year. You just distilled it. Now, what about later in the draft? So, okay, late first round, early second round, that's a decision point, and the right selection in that situation is going to be a player like Des Bryant, not a player like Jordan Howard, who has a much lower floor. But once you get into those later rounds... You start taking flyers on players. You start to see some players rising. Remember two years ago, Amir Abdullah went from 10th round, 9th round, 8th round, 7th round, 6th round, 5th round, 
for it happened. I was there. It was it happened based on oh, preseason runs that happened, and I'm starting to see a fascination, not Amir Abdullah level fascination, but I'm starting to see an unusual fascination with Paul Perkins this offseason. People seem to be going back to this Paul Perkins tape that I didn't see in 2016, and they're enamored by him. What's the fascination with Paul Perkins, Rich Rebar? So so I nearly have a, a teenage son, and uh, he's been starting to do things with his friends, do things without us, uh, you know, involved uh, in his life. Situations where, so he's ended up in these situations where he needs to contact us. Uh, so we just got him a phone. Uh, you know, we're kind of against it, but we just had to. It's just w- where our eras have, you know, differentiated over the years. Like, we're he just here. needs a phone. He needs the, he needs, we need to be able to reach him. So I went into Verizon. I walk in. The girl looks at me. She says, how can I help you? I literally just said to her, I said, I need a phone for a kid that literally only needs to have the capabilities to talk and text. This is what I need. And she replied, you need the Paul Perkins model. (laughs) Like, I love it. I was waiting for that. Uh, Where is the story going? It's going right there. Daggers, Paul Perkins. So Paul Perkins is a hodgepodge of basically every baseline resource you'd require for running back. If only there was a website that snapshotted all of these measurables of production you could I go wish to, there was such a to website. see these. Where could you find <laughs> such a website? I don't know, but I've kind of dubbed, I've dubbed him in Tennessee. I dubbed him to you guys, the missionary sex of running backs. Uh, he's sort of like going to like a specialty, like one of those specialty ice cream places and coming out with like a vanilla ice cream cone. I mean, he's still sex and he's still ice cream. And of course he's still a functional running back, but like, that's about where like the story ends. I mean, he was this way as a prospect too. I mean, I wrote him up and did a profile. You can read this, you know, from last year. Um, we talked about archetypes getting elevated this time of year, and Perkins was that guy for draft Knicks. He's the Justin Hardy of running back prospects. Yes. Uh, people ignored yes. uh, Perkins' baseline measurables and output for the allure of his elusiveness, something that is a bells and whistles quality to begin with and has little proven measure of fan success, or, or is it a necessity you know, to even have? Uh, you know, And two, uh, that's something that also had absolutely no damn rollover on his NFL rookie season. I mean, he forced the missed tackle once every 7.9 touches as a rookie. That's 47th of all backs with 50 or more touches on the season. Add in now that Shane Vereen is a complete niche back that will definitely siphon his, his receiving role, whether any of you believe that he's a true RB1 or not. Uh, and the Giants could and should use you know capital on a, on a running back in this class. Uh, I just think it's definitely overly unwise to uh, invest in Perkins during this period where he technically sits the RB1 on the depth chart. Technically, yeah, he w- currently has the most unsustainable MFL 10 ADP. It's Paul Perkins. What about Orange Julius? He's in the news. I mean, we have no news. I mean, the news <laughs> I have for you is Paul Perkins ADP on my fantasy league. I mean, that's the news I have. Run the breaking news sound. This qualifies as news, a rumor that maybe the Jacksonville Jaguars will be trading Julius Thomas to the Miami Dolphins. Is that a big deal? Should we care about this? Could this potentially resurrect Julius Thomas, who I would admit has an exciting athletic profile? He always has. And he played basketball, which is, yes. you know, is there, is there a tight end mark on the player profile page that as a box for tight ends, he played college basketball? We need to add that for Demetrius <laughs> Harris and Eric Swoop, a little basketball next to them. And we know Antonio <laughs> Gates, of course, 
But there are other guys, and it matters. Jimmy Graham, <laughs> it shows a level of hand-eye coordination and athleticism. I think it is a positive sign if a player can convert from basketball to football successfully, learning all the nuances of the tight end position, the blocking techniques, all the different responsibilities. You're chipping on pass plays, and then you're going out on a route. It's a very difficult position to learn, maybe the second most difficult after a quarterback. So if you can overcome that barrier to entry, it's exciting. So for an Eric Swoop, I'm excited. My problem is guys like Eric Swoop are going to be available in the final rounds of drafts, but guys like Julius Thomas that have this brand equity built in back from their time with Adam Gaze and (laughs) Denver, where we have the zombie coach worshipers coming out and drafting Julius Thomas three rounds ahead of where he should go because of the coach he's associated with, this is what is maddening to me and why I'll probably not own any Julius Thomas in 2017. Yeah, and, and I don't think no coach is, and with such a short resume has gotten more narrative spun in his favor in recent memory than Adam Gase. Right, I mean, right. <laughs> Jules, Jules is going to be a 29-year-old player. He's missed multiple games now in all six of his NFL seasons through a plethora of ailments. Oh. Um, even if he were to stay healthy, Miami was the lowest passing volume game in the NFL last season, just 477 passes. Uh, the Bears uh, were, were 28th the year prior. Uh, so, I mean, we've got a, a, a sample with Adam Gase now, if you want to spin a coaching narrative, away from Peyton Manning, that he, even adjusted for game script, is very run heavy. Uh, oh, yeah. So, now, oh, yeah. so now, we, now we have a very low volume passing game, and we know Jarvis Landry and Devontae Parker are going to stand to take up roughly 45% of those targets, not leaving much on the table for a guy like Jules. I mean, you look at Gase's history, if we're going to go full you know, coach narrative, oh, uh, his teams have ranked 26 uh, the 7th, you know, that's just good, 24th and 18th in tight end market share, and that includes two years with Jules in Denver. Uh, so, I mean, Thomas did uh, a lot and very little opportunity due to red zone ops and Peyton Manning. Um, I would say that he probably can make a red zone impact given the uh, allotment of the core of Miami pass catchers, uh, but it's it's hard to see him as more than a tight end two flyer still entering 2017. This whole trade bothers me. Because it nukes a legitimate, under-the-radar sleeper at the tight end position, Deion Sims. (laughs) This is what was so frustrating to me. I like Deion Sims. He was going to be my guy at the end of drafts, and now you took him away from me. And I'm selfish, and I hate that. I want my sleeper tight ends. I have them all lined up in a little row in February. Here's my little sleeper tight ends. Don't touch him! Now it's, I have to get Eric Swope or I'm dead. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> now, talking about coach narratives, Matt Ryan, did he make Kyle Shanahan Kyle Shanahan, or did Kyle Shanahan make Matt Ryan Matt Ryan in 2016? And does anyone really make anyone, really, is the question. <laughs> and I saw a tweet from Anthony Amico at Amixa on Twitter that resonated very well. He said, looking forward to Matt Ryan's natural and expected regression, it will be blamed on Shanahan leaving, should be fun. And that just struck me as completely and utterly impossible to not be correct and true. This is going to happen. Matt Ryan will regress as, of course, he is going to regress. The odds he's a top five quarterback this year are low, 
doesn't matter how good you think he is. The odds are just low. It's how it works. And if he does finish outside the top five, they will attribute his 2016 success to Kyle Shanahan. I'm going to kill something when I hear that. I'm going to be so bothered by it. I'm not a murderer. I mean, this sounds like I'm a murderer, like I'm a rage-fueled murderer. I'm not a murderer. But I've killed a lot of houseflies. I can kill a housefly without even smacking it on the ground. I can actually catch a housefly in my hand with my fist. I can just scoop it up and then throw it out the window. I'm that good. It's like Mr. Miyagi level housefly hunting with Matt Kelly. That's what I'm talking about. But next time I catch a housefly and I read some narrative attributing Matt Ryan's success and 2017 failure to Kyle Shanahan, I'm going to kill that fucking fly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir. I mean, we've talked about, I think, the, the two previous times I've been on this show, we've talked about coaching narratives and where you and I stand they on don't them. Stop, and like you said, Rich. They don't they will, stop. Listen, this is the. Min- they don't stop. They won't stop saying stupid things about Adam Gaze and Kyle Shanahan. This drives me fucking crazy. This is, I mean, this is the minutia of, of fantasy football analysis, though. I mean, you got to fight through it. You know, it's going to exist. Uh, you got to, you got to kind of, we'll, we'll just keep doing it. But I mean, it's easy with Matt Ryan, though. It, what you do is like we've been talking about the whole show. You hone in on the mean. Matt Ryan was a clear buy at his ADP last year. He had a career low touchdown rate. All his peripheral stats stayed the same. He was a clear buy for bounce back. This year, he's a clear sell. He had the fourth highest yards per attempt in NFL history. Uh, obviously, we're not going to think that's going to roll over. Uh, we're going to, dude, I mean, his adjusted yards per attempt were over 10 yards. He had a 10.1 AIA. Like, it's like, like it's, it's pretty, pretty unreal. It's like what he did. Yeah. He, he went from a three, 3.4 touchdown rate to 7.1. Like, yeah. and, and like yeah. it's the same thing. It's the same reason we avoided drafting Cam Newton last year was the same reasons we will be avoiding Matt Ryan uh, at his cost this year. Except that one league I drafted Cam Newton. Anyway, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Let's go to rapid fire. Let's go to rapid fire. We've been doing rapid fire since 2016. It's time to go into rapid fire. This is a good sign. This I don't even know what is it is. going very well. If we go long, but we have other topics to discuss, we just flip over into rapid fire mode. Just toggle up rapid fire. Bing, 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 I can, bing, bing, I can bing, bing, rapid bing. fire, man. Rapid fire question number one. Can Chad Henney unlock Allen Robinson? <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't think a quarterback play really matters. I mean, when you when you look at Allen Robinson, I mean, his his career is basically driven on uh, on like excelling in two areas. You know, opportunities like short near the the end zone and winning vertically. You know, two of the hardest things to maintain year over year in the NFL. I think he's just always going to be a, a volatile player given that nature. Uh, we knew the TDs were going weren't going to hold. We talked about it honing in on the mean. Uh, you know, that's it, what happened last year. I mean, his touchdowns went from fourteen to six. He led the NFL. Uh, in targets from the 10-yard line and in the year before. Uh, they accounted for 82% of his red zone targets in 2015, and this year he scored four touchdowns in that area. And then when you look at where he really fell off, deep target success. Just got just absolutely smoked uh, this year. Obliterated. In 2015, yeah. In 2015, 37% of his receptions came on throws 15 yards further downfield. In 2016, that mark was down to just 17.8%, so over a half decline. Uh, you know, and, and in 2015, 66.2% uh, of his yards came on such throws. 
uh, which was more than his total yards he had all, all season, you know, coming in 2016. His catchable pass rate also fell for the third straight season, all the way down to 57% last year. It was the sixth worst rate of all wide receivers with 50 or more targets. And he also had a really dreadful schedule. San Diego, Denver, Minnesota, Houston twice. Ran into a perfect storm of regression to the mean, poor quarterback play, and strength of schedule. I don't see his volume really drying up in 2017. I just think he's a volatile option given to where he excels at, which is near the paint and over the top. How the fuck did you just do that? Rapid fire. How do you know all these things? Like, how does this happen? I, I don't understand this. Whatever's going on with you, I want to keep it going. We've tapped into something special. Rapid fire Reeves is delightful. Like My eyes are bugging out. My headphones are smoking. This is incredible. So give me one high upside wide receiver sleeper that we can draft in the last round of MFL 10s right now. Uh, I mean, this, this one's tricky because you're technically suggesting that I, I suggest a player you shouldn't draft, you know, basically. Um, you know, a guy that's like needs X, Y, and Z to happen to be good. What happened? I think if, what, no, what, what's going on? You were just in super mode. I'm answering questions. Well, was. Boom, 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 information. Just no setup in rapid All fire. Right. I'm sorry. Switch the knobs or something. Can we get you back? How do we get you I, back? I blacked out. I'm sorry. I'll say I'll say right now as the landscape lies out. I mean, if you're asking me for like a Tyra Williams s type dude, it, it, the guy that I'm looking at is probably Chris Moore at Baltimore. I mean, if Mike Wallace is indeed released, that would free up you know over 250 targets from their 2016 roster. Obviously, me and you are guys that like Rashad Perriman. I love him too. But you know, he's yeah. a guy everyone's going to be on. You're going to get a thousand Rashad Perriman's articles this summer. Like from oh, this point I know, on, I know. they're all coming. Yeah, I think Pat Thorne Thor beat a solid punch. He wrote it today. You know, we'll just chalk it up as a as a unison, like divided. That's that's one. That's one. Brashad Perriman. It speaks for all of us. We'll just go with that one for the rest of the year. It works. But you know, a decaying Dennis Pitta got 121 targets. On top of that, uh, Moore was buried as a rookie, but it's a vet team with a lot of vet receivers. He wasn't going to really get in on the field. But he was actually the tenth wide receiver selected in last year's draft, ahead of guys like Malcolm Mitchell, Tajay Sharp. So Baltimore saw something in that vertical play, you know, ability a year ago. He was actually the second highest in touchdown rate of the entire class last year, 22% trailing only Leontay Crew. You know, given the, the the opportunities that could present themselves in Baltimore and Rashad Perriman still being an unknown commodity, although we'd still like him, I mean, I think he's going to have an opportunity to make plays this year. Can we finally afford to draft Rob Gronkowski in fantasy football leagues this year? No, nah, I mean, it ties back to the O.J. Howard take and, you know, thing. It's just, it's just not real a necessity. I mean, what's funny, though, is Gronk had, like, an unreal run in a small sample last year. I don't yeah, think that's people, the thing. I don't, he was so good last year. I don't think people even realize how good he was because the sample was so small. Mm -hmm. um, 40% of his targets were 15 yards or further downfield, by far the most of his career. His 15.1 average depth of target was the largest for any tight end recorded since PFF has been recording this stuff uh, for over 30 targets this season. Like, over a course of the season, like, Gronk may have, shattered the earth last year we just he gronked us man you know can't even, you know and in the most gronk injury fashion of all like a punctured lung like yes. before the back injury like yes. the most random thing ever like you know but uh still i mean it's just i don't think that there's going to be much of a, a drop in his adp i thought initially there might be when it was looking more vague but you got this week video last week of him working out and he looked incredible and stop like, working out gronk for with yeah, cameras I on i don't like that gronk we were trying to draft you we tweeted it out today Rob Gronkowski, number one in the league among tight ends in yards after the catch per target, albeit a small sample size, but he was exceptional last year. We're going at a rapid fire. 
Give me a wide receiver that's going to miss expectations this year. Someone you should not draft. I mean, looking at current ADP, Tyree Kill at wide receiver 15 is pretty ludicrous, but that's kind of oh, low-hanging what? fruit. That's that's low-hanging fruit. I mean, Devontae Adams at wide receiver 11 also feels ambitious as well. And this is ADP from, you know, this is what we do, man. We're objective on the show. We, we, we Last time I was on, we talked about getting Devontae Adams, putting him on your roster, riding that success. Gotta now be. we're telling you. Now we're telling you not to draft him. Clinical, I mean, the Packers, cold, hard, <laughs> rational analysis. The, the Packers had a jarring passing slits per game situation uh, adjusted for game flow of the past five years. They had the fourth highest passing rate. Uh, Adams still had a lot of extreme floor moments peppered around huge games. I mean, my way too early projections right now, I've already done have him closer to like the wide receiver 20 to 24 range than the wide receiver 11. So, I mean, if he sniffs wide receiver one ADP, uh, he will not find his way on any of my rosters. Efficiency matters. Also, inefficiency matters in the case of Devontae Adams. Are you buying Carlos Hyde this year? No, I'm not. I mean, he started off early as a RB. He's sitting at RB12 right now uh, in early drafts. I mean, he's going to get the OC narrative bump again for the second consecutive season. That's the problem. This is the (laughs) same problem with Julius Thomas. I actually like Carlos Hyde. I've turned the corner. I think that he is a talented back. He's not a replacement level grinder. I think he's very good, but he's in a bad situation in San Francisco, and he's going to be overdrafted because of coach narratives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the 49ers are still very likely going to be horrible in reality. They've had a hard time seeing uh, he's – I have a hard time seeing him just get like the, the requisite opportunity to get him to weekly RB1 status, to set and forget guy you want to take it in that, that end of the second round, that 2-3 turn. Uh, he's been a top 12 weekly scorer in just six of his 20 games over the past two years as a starter. Uh, he's been the RB24 lower in 11 of those 20 games. Uh, and the division is one of the worst to run the ball against, you know, a strength schedule on paper. I mean, and unless he can face the team that he practices against, uh, <laughs> it's going to be hard. <laughs> if only Carlos Hyde could play. San Francisco twice a year would actually draft him in fantasy football. So not Carlos Hyde. He's not going to get cut. But I think that there is potential that some running backs in that Carlos Hyde ilk, not at his level, but the next level down from Carlos Hyde, I think we can see some running backs cut this year. And I'm talking about surprise running backs. Remember when everyone was so shocked Justin Forsett was cut last year, except one person who said he was going to get cut. On these airways, his name was Matt Kelly. Now, we know Jonathan Stewart's likely to be cut based on his contract over $10 million for a running back. That's just not going to happen. But give us a running back that doesn't necessarily have a big contract and that people perceive as being quote-unquote or hashtag good at football. Give me a guy that could get cut and shock the world. It's, it's tough for me for both of these guys don't make any money, but I had two ideas in my head. One, probably, I, I think his perception is that he's not good at football, though, but I think Jeremy Hill is pretty hyper-fragile. Uh, he's only owned a million dollars, so I, I, he's doubtful to get cut. Uh, but he's been a consistently sinking ship so far in the league, despite having three seasons of identical carry totals, which is pretty rare. He had 222, 223, 222 to start his career. Ooh. His rate of first-down runs, runs of five or more yards, runs of ten or more yards, and stuff rates, runs for no gain or loss, they've all gone in a ni- negative direction every Every single year. Last year, Jeremy Hill carried 188 times for 560 yards, 2.9 yards per carry against teams that weren't the Browns. So, I mean, uh, that's. Oh. 
It's. I don't think the arrow's really poor. He's basically been a guy that's fallen in the end zone the last two years and it's held his fantasy value, but he's pretty terrible. And I also don't think he's going to... This isn't a guy that's going to be outright cut because he's basically free. His salary's under a million dollars. But I am not ruling out Kansas City as being a low-key, like, great spot for a rookie to come in and, like, supersede the incumbent Spencer Ware. Uh, you know, assuming a guy like Jamal Charles gets cut, Spencer Ware was the guy that really didn't show anything last year and, and really didn't... He really didn't get workhorse touches, was not involved in the passing game. Sharkandrick West is kind of a jag guy uh so i think kind of a jag guy (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's i looked up hold on let's see hold on go to wikipedia.com jag oh there's shark hendrick west's headshot rich yeah, I mean, so I think that I think Kansas City's a low key like under the radar spot for one of these rookie running backs to really end up and and have a shot to like really make an impact. So it's a team that one, it's a running backs always kind of been important to what they do. And Alex Smith isn't a guy that's going to really throw push the ball downfield. And like two, I think their their defense and team is good enough to put a situation around a, a, a guy being what uh, productive there. Jeremy Hill is bad <laughs> at football. And Spencer Ware enthusiasts are going to be beside themselves when the Chiefs draft Samaj P. Ryan in April. Write that down. Final question. Rapid fire's over. Now we can just relax. We have one question that I ask every time. Everyone. Everyone gets this question. This is the cliche Roto Underworld radio question. Just let it marinate for a second. Take a breath. Think about it. Who's that one guy who's now maybe in his late 20s? Guy that's never broken out and probably won't ever ascend to be anything in fantasy football. But you still harbor a hope that you qualify for truther status on who's the guy. <laughs> I mean, you told me I can talk about it. The only guy I've ever really been a, a truther for is Lance Dunbar. So the you only can't guy say Lance. I told you you I, couldn't say Lance I don't Dunbar. Care. He's the one player in the NFL. You have every player in the NFL that's <laughs> never ascended to becoming an every week fantasy relevant player. You have the whole pool of players, and you're choosing the one guy you're not allowed to choose. Because he's going to sign with the Saints, have a Deion Lewis-esque revival, and it's going to be amazing. Do you know who Deion <laughs> Lewis's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is? God, I hope you tell me it's Lance Dunbar. Lance Dunbar. Toggle up, rapid fire. Bing, 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 I can, bing, bing, I can bing, rapid bing, fire, man. It's like Mr. Miyagi level house fly hunting with Matt Kelly. I'm here to give you rookie talk. You want some rookie talk? I'll give you some rookie talk. Would you listen to my podcast when you talk about your rookies? That's what you want. That's what you're going to get. Lord Reeves, Matt Kelly, rookie talk. What does Chris Harris think about this? The Earl Bennett reference for some of our younger listeners will be completely lost. What does Chris Harris think about this? Boom! Oh, man, it's going to happen. We can dream, baby. Oh, my God, I went deep into the files. That is true. I just looked it up. Oh, my God, what a great ending. (laughs) No, it's actually Brian Clay. It is, bro. I mean, we're both Brian Quick Truthers. We're rowing this boat together. That's an Olympic race, like the rowing. How are there so many different versions 
of these boat races in the Olympics. You have the five-man, the four-man, the three-man. Do you need every iteration of the number of people in a boat? Can we just have a couple races, like the two-man and the five-man? Do you need two, three, four, five, six, seven-man boats? And how many different events do they need in the Olympics? There's so many <laughs> events. They take up, like, five channels, all concurrently showing fucking rowing. We are in the two-man boat, and the name of our boat is Brian Quick. We've got to throw a couple guys overboard, possibly, on this Brian Quick, you know, kayak or canoe or whatever it's even referred to. I'm not even 100% sure what it's referred it's to. It's so but, easy you know. to rationalize away <laughs> Brian Quick's struggles. It really is. I mean, it's got everything. I mean, everything you're looking for in a narrative to justify truth or status is there <laughs> with Brian Quick. I mean, what do you want? You want injury? Got that. You want an offense that imploded around him when his body wasn't imploding. And he has everything. He has draft capital. He has a dominator. He has everything. It's the perfect truther candidate. Brian Quick. Yeah, we got that little tease in the, like the first seven games of 2014. Too. He was a top 30 guy like every week but one. So, like, you know, we got that little taste. And we, he was we excellent for that period of time. We just want to taste that again. We can dream, baby. I literally just said to her, I said, I need a phone for a kid that literally only needs to have the capabilities to talk and text. This is what I need. And she replied, you need the Paul Perkins model. <laughs> like, I love it. I love it. I was waiting for that. Uh, where is the story going? It's going right so, there. Daggers, Paul Perkins. We just want to taste that again. I really think, like, in this aspect, man, in this role, like, you and Sigmund Bloom are the two guys that I'm drawn to. Like, this is you, man. Like, this, like, you're such a good job at, at this role, man. Steering the conversation, but adding your own knowledge and bit of fun context and everything to the table of bringing a guest on. The way that the shows just flow, man. It's it's one of my favorite things to come do. And I, like I said, I told you this person, but I genuinely believe it, man. Don't forget it. It's uh, this is this is what you're meant to do, man. That's in the outtakes. You know that people are gonna hear that things start locking and clicking and turning you know and then now i'm like fuck yeah this is gonna be good <laughs> i love uh i love the janice mural uh behind you yes yeah it goes all the way over here and it's pretty good boom oh man it's gonna happen we just want to taste that again we can dream baby denny and i bond over our dislike of the barstoolification of fucking sports media he is like the elusive rock star of the, <laughs> I, I hate that this is in the outtakes and he might hear it but gosh he really is man like he reminds me of the rock star we all know is cool and we really respect him and he's never fucking around and when he is around he says shit and, and we listen and we pay attention we just want to taste that again how the fuck did you just do that? Rapid fire. How do you know all these things? We can dream, baby. Eat something, just, Josh! Just, Jesus just Christ! They won't stop saying stupid things about Adam Gaze and Kyle Shanahan! This drives me fucking crazy! I was gonna swerve into you, man, and, and had this great, like, Edge of Tomorrow Lamar Miller take, <gasps> and we didn't get there. But <laughs> we'll save that for another day. But, you know, like, drafting Lamar Miller is a lot like the movie Edge of Tomorrow. Like, we just try to get a little further every year until we meet the culmination. But <laughs> just get a little bit further. Yeah, it's, it's incremental, right? Every incremental gains. 
But I know you're a big but fan you of But you die every year. That's the thing. You never make the fantasy playoffs if you draft <laughs> Lamar Miller. You always die, but you make these incremental gains. That's Edge of Tomorrow. It's Lamar Edge of Tomorrow man. Miller. I want it. I had that analogy. I had that take geared up especially for you because I know you're a big fan of that movie and you have takes that revolve around it. So I was going to swerve into you and uh, give that to you. I don't want to leave without at least dropping that. Every time you watch it again, you notice new things. I love those Mm -hmm. kinds of movies where you get to notice new things the next time around. And there's a reason why Tom Cruise has been a star in Hollywood since the mid-80s. You don't just happen upon a career like that by accident. And one of the reasons why he's so good, not just because he's changed his running style throughout the years, which is amazing if you can watch yeah. on YouTube the, the, how he's become a better runner in movies, but he is very good at the wry humor and the facial expressions. All these facial expressions that he has in these cheeky moments with his female lead, that's the reason why he survived. He has that thing where when he's interacting with his female lead, you're always smiling because of the way he's interacting with her is just so fucking charming, this guy. It reminded me of, you know, given our age, Nintendo video games, man. Like you literally had every Nintendo video game was you went to you died and you learned a little bit more about the game and then you went that much further and you died again and then you knew what to do and then you get like, but you couldn't save. Like you had to keep grinding out, like you had to keep playing the game from the beginning. And like, it, it, I remember just being in love with that aspect. It was like, oh, this is the freaking every video game I grew up on. Like, oh. Edge of Tomorrow <laughs> encapsulated our childhood. We just want to taste that again. That first rapid fire, holy cow, man. I'm always processing, and I'm queued up, and I know what I'm going to say next, and yada, yada, whatever. You know, right? I have an agenda. I didn't know what to do there. Or it was like, you know, <laughs> someone peeling off their face. I was just like, holy fuck, I don't know what to do now. I'm in front of this microphone. I'm on a fantasy football podcast. This is usually where I'm comfortable. But the information this guy just dropped, in the amount of time he dropped it, with the efficiency... He was able to deliver it. I, I, I can't do that. I don't well, even know Alan where to Ra- go from here. Do <laughs> we just uh... end the podcast on that? <laughs> I can't follow that. What do I do? That'd be like a comedian in the 80s trying to follow Eddie Murphy. It's like, uh, I, I got nothing, everybody. I, uh, I have a small dick. I, I, bye. I have a small dick. I, I, bye. We just want to taste that again. Like My eyes are bugging out. My headphones are smoking this is incredible what's going on you were just in super mode i'm answering questions well, was. boom 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 information just no setup in rapid All fire right. we just want to taste that again I want my sleeper tight ends. I have them all lined up in a little row in February. Here's my little sleeper tight ends. Don't touch them And it happened to everything that we said, you know, it came to fruition basically. And we can dream, baby. Draft concept I like to call Zero RB. Never heard of it. Zero RB? <laughs> no. What I wanted to tell you was <laughs> don't draft Kelvin Benjamin in any leagues at any ADP. It doesn't matter if they acquire a receiver in the draft or not. Even if he's the number one wide receiver. Don't draft him. Fake free square running back. Kenneth Farrow, even though on the sideline while he was running, a security guard was masturbating, it did not help 
<laughs> Kenneth Farrow. It did not make him run away any faster from that security guard. He was still tackled in the backfield. We just want to taste that again. Someone did write, actually in print, that the Garrett, the Garrett Blunt, will lead the NFL in rushing touchdowns. Oh, go to <laughs> wikipedia.com. Jag. Oh, there's Sharkandrick West's headshot, Rich. We just want to taste that again. Don't touch him! We can dream, baby. Boom! Oh, man, it's going to happen. Headphones are smoking. This is incredible. I blacked out. I'm sorry. I have a small dick. I'm, I Bye. What does Chris Harris think about this? <laughs>